Hello and welcome back to the Down to the Wire podcast. We are back again. Um, I was about to say, updating you with the latest and greatest in sport, but actually, this week is the latest and greatest from Formula One because we've got like a first race of the season Formula One special on our hands. Um, it was Jack a very Pagan. special race. It was a very special race. It was a very special race. Are you okay? But I am good. I mean, I'm just on a high. How can we what not be after that race? A race. <laughs> it was just it was incredible, wasn't it? The, Nothing else happened this weekend. Like football-wise, it was like it's the international, so nobody cares. Um, there's no other sports really. Cycling's on a little bit of a dip at the moment. This sort of there's just a smaller set of competitions. Nothing. World's won the Six but, Nations, I guess. Oh yeah, they did. But that, that happened on the Friday, so and it was almost anticlimactic because it was a bit anticlimactic. It, it wasn't a Super wasn't Saturday moment, was it? Um, no. But yeah, that race just well and truly fulfilled my weekend of sport. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, we're obviously going to take it apart piece by piece, but yeah, it had everything really, didn't it? It had battles at the front, battles in the middle, it had strategy, it had safety cars, it had... And Mazepin went out early. Mazepin <laughs> living up to his new name. Um, yeah, it, it literally had everything that a Formula One fan could want, really. Mm. Um and it, it doesn't really uh, get much better than that. And I'm quite glad as well, because it had been built up so much. Like, how disappointing would it have been if, like, Mercedes had just turned up and just driven off, like yeah. they have done in the past? Like, it would have been so anticlimactic. So, mm-hmm. good stuff, good stuff. Um, We'll just dive right in then, shall we? Yeah, let's do that. Dive straight in. Um, So, yeah, coming off the back of... Uh, the end of last season, we had Bahrain followed by Sakir, followed by Abu Dhabi. We're back in Bahrain for the start of the season this time around. Mm-hmm. Um, am I right in saying that Australia's further towards the end this year? Yes, it we is on it. the calendar, but it's not the first race. Yeah, so um, I think I'm right in you saying know what? that. She might be the penultimate or two from last, so it's possibly at the end. Yeah, I mean, you know, Bahrain has been the season opener twice in the past 2006, 2010. Um, I think I'm right in saying that Fernando Alonso won those. Yes, they were saying that on the commentary for quite a Oh, did they? Oh, there we are then. They were going on about how uh, could he win it just because he every other time they've had a Bahrain to start, he has won yeah. it. But it's like, I, 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 knew I don't that think an Alpine's really going to win it. I, kn- I knew that it had been the season opener on those times just because I, I had a quick read before the podcast, but I didn't know uh, I didn't know that Alonso had won, uh, won both of them. Oh, there we are. Um, as we'll find out later. Spoilers if you haven't seen the race. Fernando Alonso didn't win. Shock, <laughs> but yeah. uh, we'll go into that a little bit. Yeah, I, I yeah, l- like a race under the lights in Bahrain. But um, I mean, I guess we'll uh, we'll start at the front, shall we? Um, what the majority of Formula One fans have been craving for uh, a very long time: um, Hamilton it, versus Verstappen, and at least a bit of competition. Yeah, that's the key bit. And had a competition yeah. for so long, but yeah, Hamilton against Verstappen. That I mean, a lot of the commentary was going on about we didn't get to see Schumacher against Senna, and they are they are properly pumping this sort of rivalry between Hamilton and Verstappen as the next Schumacher mm. against Senna esque. Uh, I mean, rivalry. it's it's worth bearing in mind that <clears throat> I think it's with the media there is an element to which they will plug this sort of rivalry mm-hmm. because the more interested people get in the rivalry, the more people will watch the Formula One coverage. Yeah, but yeah. 
it is very much kind of as in look we know Verstappen is very 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 talented but since he's been with Red Bull this is the first time that you look at the car and you go yeah that's a potentially title winning car mm-hmm. um, well, there's like I, lots you'd of, probably uh, say they are the best car this year which you so at, at this point in time yeah definitely mm. um, you've got Hamilton kind of old guard going for his the record breaking title you know he's he's been there and done it so it, it is literally like a a, a clash of um, contrasts, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, which is what makes it so fascinating, I guess. And, you know, I, I've, I've just been watching Drive to Survive to get myself in the mood. And uh, Christian Horner said, in the last 10 years of Formula 1, there have been two winners in the... Con- well, the, yeah, con- I think... Yeah. There's been... Two winners for the constructors, three for the um, yeah individuals. Yeah, so the, there have been two constructors, and they have been... Mercedes and Red Bull. So we've basically got clash of the titans, really, um, as things have been for the last, you know. It's very, very interesting. Lots of kind of underlying stories as well. You've got um, Red Bull coming back with Sergio Perez, you know, a more competitive number two driver. You've got Bottas coming back, who's, you know, potentially frustrated with how things have been going for him. There's a lot, there's a lot going on. Um, which I'm sure we'll see throughout the course of the season. But um, I guess we'll just focus on this race for now because um, there's a lot to be talking about. So, yeah, uh, in terms of qualifying, Hamilton... Sorry, Verstappen... I'm so used to saying Hamilton qualified on pole. Verstappen qualified on pole. Uh, Confidently Hamilton. as well. Yes. Yeah, four second gap. Yeah. It was very big. Yeah. Um, followed by Hamilton, followed by Bottas. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they kind of went for different strategies, didn't they, in the race? Um, they kind of, I, I guess, Mercedes had to do things to kind of put themselves in a good position because they didn't quite have the outright pace to beat um, Red Bull. So whereas before they've been able to just pit whenever the heck they want and just know that their car's going to haul them back into a good position, they didn't have that luxury this time around. Um, so yeah, so they both started on mediums, didn't they? Um, yeah. Hamilton pitted lap 13 uh, for the hards. Um, Verstappen pitted lap... What, when did Verstappen pit? Lap 17, was it? Yes, lap 17. And he uh, went from medium to straight to medium, didn't he? Yes, yes. He, he had that luxury. I think Hamilton had already used two sets of mediums during qualifying. Okay. Um, so he didn't have that option uh, for yeah, the second yeah. stint. Okay, so yeah, so basically then um, Hamilton's strategy was medium, hard, hard, and Verstappen's strategy was medium, medium, hard. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a looking a little bit um, touch and go for Merck at one point, wasn't it? Because they seemed to, their first stint on the hard, they seemed to struggle, um, and the tyres seemed to fade out quite quickly. Um they then pitted again, and you were like, well, hang on, if they've pitted this early, they're going to have to do a three-stopper. They're going to have to do, you know, start on the medium, two sets of hard, and then the softs at the end to finish off. Um, well, Verstappen did more laps on his first sets of mediums than Hamilton did. Uh, well, sorry, so again. Hamilton only did 13 laps on his mediums, which isn't very many, considering no. Verstappen then went to lap 17 on his... And then for his yeah. second stint, he went... Well, he actually had 22 laps on his second stint. So yeah. So a lot more. But yeah, 
so Verstappen's getting 22 laps out of one mm. set of mediums. Hamilton could even get 13. So mm. I mean, clearly there's a little bit of an underlying problem for Mercedes that they can't seem to maintain the tyre. Well, I mean, I think there are a couple of factors. I think you've got to consider fuel as well, because obviously as the race goes on, the fuel will drops, which means you're putting less stress on the tyres. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was shown by the second stint that um, Hamilton had in the Mercedes, whereby... You know, he did a, a monument. I think it was like twenty-seven laps or something like that, wasn't it? For which stint? Sorry, the final for stint. For his, his final stint, yeah. Uh, I, can't remember, I can't remember how many laps the race had, but he pitted on lap twenty-eight for his. So, so it was 50, final I think set. the lap, the race was fifty-six laps in the end, something like that. So yeah, it was. Anyway, regardless of the exact number, it was a huge, um, an absolutely massive stint, really. Mm-hmm. Um, considering the first stint on the hards had been really short. Well, he'd done um, 10 laps more than Verstappen on the hards by the end of the race. Yeah, yeah, there we are then. So, um, maybe a little bit, but as in, I think, I think basically what happened is, is that, and I, I'm getting this from what Toto Wolff said, I think basically they perhaps went a little bit too hard, <laughs> a little bit too hard on the hards um, mm-hmm. in that first stint. And I think they realised for the second stint they were going to have to ease off somewhat in order to make them last longer. Um, yeah. which is where the strategy came in I think I think that was the balancing point for Mercedes was going fast enough that you keep yourself in you know ahead of a sapper when he was going to have to eventually pit again but don't go so fast that by the time Verstappen has pitted your tyres have worn off to the point where Verstappen can just drive past mm. um, which was very nearly the case actually um, but yeah moving on to Verstappen then so he did um, as you said Jack he did medium medium um, and then on lap 39, pitted for the hards to finish off. Um, I mean, throughout the race, the Red Bull appeared to be quicker than the Mercedes. Um, it was it was unfortunate, I think, that because Perez at the start had some issues um, with electronics, which left him kind of starting from the, the uh, pit lane, um, which was a little bit frustrating because I think that kind of influenced how teams were going to play their strategy a little bit. It meant that Mercedes could basically throw caution to the wind. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, exactly. And they could be like, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to do this, because they weren't, you know, all they were, having to, they were only having to worry about one car. They knew that, they had that's... two cars in the top three. At the Say again, sorry? Least. They knew they had two cars in the top three at the very least. Absolutely. So Absolutely. in that scenario, they just went, well, we'll just load up our rifles of every mm. round we got and fire every different strategy we can. Yeah, so basically, it, it turned into a bit of... You had Red Bull with a quicker car, and Mercedes just had to do a few things, like clever things with strategy, to try and put themselves in a a, a good position, I guess. Mm. Well, I to, to get the vibe that... I was sort of thinking about this earlier, was that... Possibly Mercedes, it looked like Red Bull went on the optimum strategy, but what mm. Mercedes did was not hamper Hamilton, but put him in a scenario where they knew Verstappen at some point would catch up to him, but mm-hmm. just make sure that they're ahead so that any sort of uh, whatever the sort of let's say if Hamilton let's say Hamilton did the whole race and nobody was in front or behind him contending with him, and say that Verstappen did the same thing, you'd say mm. that. Verstappen probably would have won that race yes. by about yeah, yeah, yeah. 10 seconds, maybe. Yeah. And to mitigate that 10 seconds, I think what Mercedes did was just make sure that Hamilton was ahead 
so that mm. it was slowing Verstappen down. Because as long as Verstappen can't overtake Hamilton, then then he's not gaining those ten seconds. He's he's losing yeah. that little bit of a lead every every uh, every lap that he's behind Hamilton. You know, um, it's. It's, it's the kind of classic thing, isn't it? You know, Murray, Murray Walker always used to say, it's one thing catching up to a car, it's another thing overtaking it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think basically the way I see it is, is that Mercedes put themselves in a position where in the last sort of 10 laps, it was going to be, they, they were making it a shootout. Mm-hmm. I think if they hadn't done what they did in that race, it would have ended up being not necessarily comfortable for Red Bull, but I think you would have had Red Bull in front with Hamilton or Bottas as, at the start of the race, obviously. Either one of the Mercedes just kind of following behind as best they could. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, what what were your thoughts on the strategies of both teams? Do you think that um, Mercedes did really well? Do you think Red Bull perhaps were a little bit conservative? What were your thoughts? I think Red Bull went into there with a game plan, and they mm. stuck to that game plan regardless of the scenario. But... Mm. When, as we've seen in the past, the world championships aren't won by the best car, they're won by the best driver and the best team and the best strategies. Mm. You can't just go into that Grand Prix thinking, we've got the best car, we'll go with the optimal strategy and ride it out because things happen in the race which change the dynamics. Mm -hmm. And I think Red Bull were too stubborn on the weekend to go, oh, Mercedes have pitted both of their cars before we have. Rather than just stick to our optimal strategy... We know we've got a better car than them. If we just match their strategy, we can't lose because we have the better car in a sense. Like when he came mm. out the first time out of the pits, um, like, sorry, that's Verstappen now. When he came out the first time, I think he was about five seconds off Hamilton because of mm-hmm. the, the the time Hamilton had gained on fresher tyres, although they were not as quick tyres. So it meant yeah, Verstappen at some point would overtake and then the process would repeat itself again for the final stint where Hamilton were pit early, Verstappen were pit later, but onto mm. fresher tyres to catch up again. And it was it was kind of like, okay, great, you've stuck to your optimal strategy, which if you haven't got to overtake anybody during a race and there's no back markers and there's no safety cars, great, you've got the best strategy. But you see this in Grand Prix where things happen and you just go, you know what, we've got to be malleable. We've got to go, okay, we're going to pit now, we're going to get onto the hards, and we're just going to beat them as a car. Like, you, you can, you can in a sense... Like, what, what uh, Mercedes made this Grand Prix about was the entirety of the team, the entirety of the strategy. It was all mm. the different dynamics going into it. What Red Bull did was say, we've got a better driver, and we've got a better car, and we're going to ignore strategy. And they should have just... I'm not going to say just copied Mercedes, because that's a bit passive if they think they've got a better strategy... But I don't think they should have been so stubborn to pit four laps. I mean, they I think they were on their own. They were stragglers when they were the only ones pitting lap mm. 17. Everybody else pitted and reacted to each other in lap 13, mm. 14. Because that was the done thing. It's that you've got to react because you don't want to lose track position. And the same thing happened again. Verstappen pits mm. on lap 39 completely on his own. It was like, okay, great. This may be your optimal strategy for an entire race, if nothing happens, mm. but things happen. I mean, you can even look at it from the point of they were actually quite fortunate nothing happened because from lap 39 onwards, from that point on, I think Verstappen came out of the pits roughly, set, I think he was 7.6 behind Hamilton at that stage, and mm-hmm. he kind of just had to get to the end of the race, so he had to sort of close that 7.6 seconds gap and overtake in the, what, 20-ish laps that were remaining in that race, mm. and... 
they were quite fortunate there wasn't a safety car or something because let's say a safety car comes in five laps time instantly everyone jumps onto the soft tyre because they can or the medium tyre mm. if it's that far out from the end of the race but everyone's onto a new set fresh tyres Hamilton could have track position if it was just a virtual perhaps he's you know the gap's just a lot shorter because it's a much quicker pit stop if everyone mm. goes in like that and it's like from that point on Red Bull could have been screwed in the sense of just going, we got, we got, we can't do anything because the way they set out their strategy doesn't help them in that scenario. I think they should have mm. been more malleable. I think they should have adapted their strategy to sort of fend off against what Mercedes do, mm. and that is how they probably could have won. I mean, you saw it last year, loads of Mercedes where they'd they'd have Bottas doing alternate strategies to Hamilton just mm. just to sort of cover off different eventualities to make sure one was over mm. in the front and that is the benefit of having two drivers at the front rather yeah. than just one but yeah i mean i think obviously I think this worth... is a bit awkward because Perez yes. was so far down but yeah in all the same verstappen sh- well red bull should have changed their strategy to say we're gonna we're gonna cover off what mercedes are trying to do a little bit more. Mm. i mean i do think it's worth noting as well that i think if it had been bottas in the lead car with mercedes i think verstappen would have won easily um, I, I, I guess I guess what I'm saying is I feel like in this scenario, although Mercedes' strategy was really smart and they did a very good job to make those, you know, they obviously knew that between the car and Lewis Hamilton, they could make those tyres last. I think Hamilton basically pulled it out of the bag for Mercedes at the last, uh, you know, as in I think you put the majority of drivers in that position and Verstappen wins. Um, yeah. So, so well, I, I, you know, well, you say I, mean, that, I, guess... I, I do think I, I agree with what you're saying. If it's Bottas, Verstappen wins. But if it's not Bottas, if it's somebody else in that car, mm. like that second car, do you not think they might have actually had a better shot than Bottas? I mean, it's worth considering that you know Mercedes did botch his second pit stop. Mm-hmm. Which cost him ten seconds, and you know, in in a race, that's as good as costing you the race, isn't it? As in, you're never going to make up yeah, unless somebody has a spin or there's a safety car. You're never making up ten seconds. It just doesn't happen, um, or, or unless you're driving the Mercedes from last year, which in which case you probably <laughs> could. Um, I mean, it, Bottas is a tricky one because you know we've we've discussed this many times. I guess from you know Mercedes's perspective. As long as Bottas is in and around the top three every single race, then in terms of the team, what more can you ask? But as in mm. from a, you know, how good is the driver perspective? You know that you know they're probably going to possibly look at that perhaps at the end of the season. Who knows? Um, I mean, there did seem to be a significant. I don't know whether perhaps I'm jumping down the notes now. I read the notes and I know we talk about. Uh, Let's jump down. We'll come back to the turn four shenanigans in a minute. Let's jump down then to the the other two drivers in a sense because, I mean, I'd say Mercedes are actually quite lucky this weekend in that department because Bottas, I mean, after 10 laps, he was six seconds off the lead. Mm. He never got within five seconds from then on. That's the entire mm. race. And from lap 30 onwards, he was never closer than 15 seconds to the lead. So it's mm. like, okay, it's all fair enough that he's... You quite confidently got third off of making, you know, Norris was about 20 off of him. Mm. But they were very fortunate Perez had all of the things happening to him. Because yeah. if he hadn't, I mean, you're looking at it and you're going, 
there's going to be at least two Red Bulls in the top three most weekends. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know, well, Mercedes' first objective, first priority is the constructors. That's what they care about the most. Secondary is getting the drivers' championship. So, how yeah, long I mean, can I... they be satisfied with these? Yeah, subpar exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I guess this is what um, you know. Th- this is what's going to make it interesting. Is in who are you by having somebody up there who's going to contest? It uh, kind of puts Mercedes under the microscope a bit more than they have been in the past. Um, you know, but Bottas generally is a bit of a slow starter in terms of races. In like we were saying this yesterday when we were talking about it, is in. Don't know what it is with Bottas. Off the side, he always just seems to be swamped, like absolutely mm. swamped. He has people like left of him, right of him. Um, yeah, Leclerc you know, was on his back at one stage. Yeah, exactly. I think Norris had a pop, um, but then you then you look at the other side. Look at Perez. He battled from last, and he managed to get past everyone. And when he got to Leclerc, there wasn't any. Oh, am I going to get past? It was like I'm past. Done. Next person. Mm. It really Perez looked like in a class of his own. I mean, he was very driver of the day, and rightly so, from mm. all of the shenanigans, well, not shenanigans, but all of the stuff that happened to him at the beginning of the race, and it's like he overcame that. I mean, mm. you'd never see Alex Albon do that. You'd see all no, that happen no, to him, and he'd finish chance. 15th. He's just not the same calibre of driver. Al- Albon Perez. would do the reverse. Albon used to start 5th, and then finish <laughs> last. Whereas yeah. Perez starts last and finish 5th. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> as in, I, I think... And that, that was the real... Not disappoint. That was the only thing. Yes, I was like, oh, I would have quite liked to have seen that. I was to have seen because you know, as in at the end of the day, Perez did only qualify eleventh. He had a poor qualifying, yeah. but you know, you would have assumed that if he can get from last, pretty well, basically last to fifth, he could get in in contention of that top three position. Absolutely. I mean, especially when you think of some of the other drivers um, that are in new teams. For that mm. qualifying two session, which is the one which dictates what tyre you start on, that is mm-hmm. if you make it into the top ten, Sainz started on the softs, Ricardo started on the softs. And it's like, that was crucial because mm. they that meant they got into the final qualifying period, which meant that they're at least in the top ten. Perez, I don't know whether that was Red Bull or him making that decision, but he sort of went, I can get another point one second, tenth of a second. Um, from from these tyres, didn't make it into Q3. He finished P11, well, started P11, rather, mm. after qualifying. So it's like, maybe Red Bull will learn from this and go, okay, maybe we shouldn't take the gambles when we are have a new driver in a new car. Yeah, just get him in the top 10. Yeah, more get him into the top 10. Even. But at the same time, there was nothing Perez could have done no, about... No. Like, regardless if he'd qualified on pole, he had his car cut out on him during the formation lap, very unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. Meant yeah. that his tyres were rubbish then because they'd gone over something um, whilst he was off the track. Mm. So he used to he used to go into the pit lane to start the race. After the first lap, he pits to get onto a new set of tyres, annoyingly for him. Um, mm. And then he, I think there was a safety car quite early on, which meant he at least caught up to the back. Um, so he was fortunate in that regard. But yeah, never ideal for a Red Bull team that is looking at the constructors this year. Um, to have a guy not even starting in the top nineteen um, of drivers. No, no. Yeah, it was a bit uh, a bit unfortunate for that one, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for Perez, I mean. Mm. Um, Speaking of Bottas, though, what do you think is going to happen with his seat next year? Do you think you'll keep it, or do you think someone will take it? If so, who? I mean, I I honestly don't know to be honest. 
Mm. It's a really tricky one because, you know, like I've said, as long as Mercedes uh, competed at the top, I don't think they'll be as disappointed. But it's whether they kind of look at it and go, actually, no, we feel that if we add somebody else in the car, we could be doing better. Mm. Um, Equally, I think a lot of it will depend on what happens with Hamilton because I think if Hamilton, um, you know, decides that at the end of the year he's finishing i don't don't think he will personally because he seems to still be competing but if that were the case i think they'd probably be looking at it and going well you know we can perhaps mix it up a bit whereas at the moment i think mercedes would probably look at it and go like you know if they they were to get someone in like say george russell as in george Mm -hmm. russell is not just gonna be as passive then should we say as bottas no, that's true. I'll be honest, I'd look at it and think, if Hamilton beats Verstappen at the end of the year, I think he might go, you know what, that was a genuine challenge. I've beaten him. And he could almost go out on top. Very much like Nico Rosberg did to Hamilton, where it's like, he's beaten him once and he goes, I'm retiring. I'm not going to mm-hmm. say that... Well, I, I feel like Rosberg did that more because I don't think he thought he could beat Hamilton again. No. But with Hamilton against Verstappen, I feel like that is... A, a proper heavyweight battle. That's an Anthony Joshua Tyson Fury esque battle, well, and it's like uh, whoever wins, it's like they got the one. And, and I think there's an element as with of um, of that as well. You know, if if Hamilton wins this next title, there is literally he's he's literally done everything that he could possibly mm-hmm. do in the sport. Yeah. Um, but that's the know, thing. I it... I think if he does beat Verstappen, I I wouldn't be surprised if he retired, just because mm. it's. It's almost like he's got the eight, he's beaten Verstappen, he's proven he can do it, and he's done. And I think if Mercedes view it as, okay, that's a genuine possibility, I wouldn't be surprised if midway through the season they go, we're not happy having Bottas as our lead driver next year, and then having Russell come in. I wouldn't be surprised if they went, well, we're going to swap it halfway through the year and get Russell in, so that then if they... if somebody is going to replace Hamilton, it's not going to be two new drivers. Because if they look at it and think, we're not keeping Bottas and we think Hamilton's going to retire, we may as well get one in halfway through the season to get them at least familiar with the car so we have at least one good driver and then work around the other one regarding maybe one of the up-and-coming guys like Pierre Gasly, for for example. Hmm. I mean, I, I don't think they... I would be surprised if they did it midway through the season, mm-hmm. um, just because the uh, the only time I've ever seen a midway season change is Red Bull, and when that yeah. happened, it was very surprising. It was um, surprising, but I think it would be good forward planning, because if they aren't going to keep Bottas, and they think Hamilton's going to go, I don't think they want to go into a new season with two new drivers. Mm. Like You see what's happening with Haas. I, obviously, the Haas cars are dogs, so that's why that's happening, mm. but... I don't think if if Mercedes want to be genuine constructors challengers every year, I think mm. they need they need to do something which is a bit proactive. Unless they think Hamilton's going to stick around, and then great. Well, I mean, the thing is, is that we say about Bottas, but as in, for a young driver like George Russell, having Bottas as your teammate isn't necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. You know, but Bottas, you know, this is the thing with Bottas. He's unfortunate because he's in the quickest car. And he's competing against Lewis Hamilton. He doesn't win often, but then when you look at where he finishes, like the majority of the time, he is finishing in the top three. So, but that's the thing. But when we see the Perez performance of this weekend, you yeah, go any other weekend. I know exactly. It's like Bottas is no longer guaranteed to finish third. 
No. He could, they could be genuine, like, well, if he's not going to finish third, what's the point of having him? Got to have someone who's at least finished yeah. third. Um, but yeah. It'll be interesting. Should Perhaps be a we'll great just, battle between we'll, the two of them. It will be. We'll discuss that going forward. But for mm. now, I think we should uh, discuss turn four. Let's, yeah, let's do that. Because, I mean, it wouldn't be such an issue if people hadn't taken such an issue with it, sort of on social media and stuff because there was a lot of is this double standards because i mean for those who aren't aware during the race hamilton exceeded the track limits at turn four numerous times um and the fia did say okay well actually we'll go back to the start through practice people were exceeding the track limits at turn four and they were sort of getting away with it and the fia wasn't really doing anything about it between practice and qualifying they then said okay if you exceed track limits at turn well uh, anywhere your lap time will be deleted yeah um and if you exceed track limits and get a lasting advantage um you'll be given a penalty and when it went to the race then they a lot of people were exceeding track limits at turn four one in particular was lewis mm, hamilton but but this is the thing though so this is where it gets confusing because qualifying was if you exceed um, track limits your time gets deleted mm-hmm. and then for the race it was if you have a lasting advantage yeah. will so they for some reason they were they were like this is the rule for qualifying mm-hmm. and then basically for the race it was almost like a case by case we'll decide whether you've gained an advantage or not mm-hmm. which seems then, a little bit silly yeah. to me well it's, anyway sorry go but on. to be fair I, I think they would well what they were doing then Hamilton exceeded track limit to turn four quite often. Mm-hmm. And eventually yeah. the FIA said, okay, you're not getting a lasting advantage, but you can't keep um, sort yes. of exceeding the limits. We will give you a penalty if you keep doing it. So then Lewis sort of corrects himself and goes, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. He's staying on the track a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but that those exceeding of the limits was sort of, I'm not going to say what was directly keeping him ahead of Verstappen for so long, but it, it could have played into that in some extent, that he was able mm. to carry more speed into the next straight. Um, so when Verstappen eventually catches up to Hamilton, he he went off the track for not, he hadn't done, I don't think he'd done it very often in the race. I think he did it after Red Bull were like, well, Lewis is getting away with it, we're going to do it. Um, yeah, they, they came on the radio, didn't they? They said, okay, Hamilton is drifting wide at turn four. And I think they literally said the phrase, we'll start doing it. So we, yeah. we'll do it until we get told not to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is fair enough, because I think yeah, of course, yeah. nobody likes to be the team which is sort of getting hard done by. And in that scenario, Red Bull were like, well, we're trying to compete with Mercedes, which are already a very good team, uh, with arguably an on-par car. But they're allowed to exceed track limits and we're playing by the rules. So it's like, well, if you're not going to do anything, we're going to break the rules as well. Because what's going to... You know what I mean? It's... Yeah. It, anarchy raises anarchy. It's like instantly, as soon as one team gets away with something mm. again and again and again and again, mm. the other team's going to go, well, we're going to break a rule. You know? We can yeah. go, well, we're just not going to turn. This, you know, we're going to go straight on. Yeah. Like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. So you've got to be stricter on the rules. But then mm. when Verstappen eventually caught Hamilton... He overtook him at turn four. I he didn't get he didn't get pushed off the track. There was no. the, but there was a lapped car which both Hamilton and Verstappen were overtaken. So the FIA said, "Oh no, that's a lasting advantage because you've overtaken Hamilton off the track, and you get to give it back." And it's like, you know what I mean? Everyone can see how there's double standards because they haven't penalised Lewis for the entire race, but as soon as something goes the other way at the exact same point, 
it's like got to give the position back. It's it's um, such a tough one to go down the it, line of. It, it it is it is a tough one. I mean, there are a couple of things I would say. Um, I agree with you that you know, ultimately, we'll never know how much of an advantage Hamilton gained mm. by doing that. Um, I I think it was, you know, as soon as Red Bull clocked onto it, they started doing it as well. So I think you could probably yeah. argue that maybe not to the same extent as Hamilton, but Verstappen also gained an advantage doing it. Um, but the thing is, I feel like he didn't start doing it till about the midway point through the race. Whilst I think Lewis was not getting away with it, but doing it a lot earlier on, which was where yes, Red Bull were getting aggrieved. But I think this is where the dilemma comes in, because if you're looking at it from the team's perspective, and I think this is part, of, this is uh, one of the things about Formula One that makes it interesting, is that it is very much a case of get away with what you can get away with. Um, and interpretation of rules. Now, if in qualifying they say, if you leave the track, your time will be deleted, that is very clear. Basically, Mm. what they're saying is, if you leave the track, that's wrong. We're not happy with that. As soon as they say, oh, well, it's only if you gain a lasting advantage, the Mercedes go, well, hang on, there you've said we're not allowed to do it. There yeah. you've said, we can do it as long as we don't gain a lasting advantage. Therefore, and what is a lasting it. advantage? Well, exactly. exactly. Yeah, it's I guess this, this, this is where the thing comes in. I don't, basically, what I'm saying is Mercedes haven't done anything wrong. It's that the rule is absolute yeah. load of nonsense. Yeah, the FIA um, have really made a mistake the, on that rule. Yes. They should have um, been a lot more clear, a lot more strict, and just said something like, you exceed that three times, you will get a mm. penalty. There. Yeah. Nobody, because I don't get why it should be a grey area. It's like, it's track no. limits for a reason. You exceed them, you're off the yeah. track. It's like you're yeah. breaking a rule. It's yeah, like, there's, there's yeah. no need for it. There's no need for it. Mm. Um, now, going back to the overtake. Mm-hmm. Now, on the Sky coverage, I think um, Paul DeResta said he spoke to um, Massey. I can't remember his, his official title, but he's like the guy who's responsible for race control, effectively. And his clarification about the overtake was... We made it very clear that if an overtake takes place outside of track limits, the space has to be given back. Mm. So I don't think the that one wasn't because of um, clear advantage by exceeding track limits. I think it was literally just a case of because he left the track and overtake Lewis Hamilton, he has to give it back. So I think mm. you've basically, from what I understand, you've got to look at those two rules as separate even though they're both related to track limits. I think you've got to look at the one in terms of leading. And then this is where it's a grey area, because you've got um, a right and wrong rule here, where leave track overtake equals wrong. And then over here, you've got leave track gaining in a slight advantage in that kind of grey area, which Mm. is why it's a little bit... I guess what I'm saying is, what they did to Max Verstappen in terms of turn four... And I'm not saying that Max Verstappen did it on purpose. He had nowhere else to go. The only other alternative would for him to have pulled out completely, at which point he loses so much time on Hamilton that it's not really fair. Um, But I think basically the ruling for for Verstappen having to give the space back is 100% correct. Where it's wrong is that the FAA have made the, like, vaguest, poorly worded rule relating to lasting advantage and all that kind of nonsense. Um... So I guess it's kind of one of those what ifs. We'll never really know how much advantage did Lewis get, how did Verstappen get. 
an advantage, probably not as much as Mercedes would have done. But, yeah, it's a bit of a tricky one, to be honest. And I think going forward, you'd hope that... Um, you'd hope that there would be less of this kind of vague terminology used mm. when, you know, ruling about certain corners and stuff like that, you know. And I guess this is a symptom of having a track like Bahrain. So, like, the next track is Imola. You, you're less likely to have these sort of scenarios because if you go wide on a corner at Imola, you're on grass. <laughs> you're not getting yeah. an advantage <laughs> there. So, you know, who knows? Hope, hopefully it'll, it, we won't see this again. Well, like, um, you, you could even use like Monza, for example, because that back straight, when you enter the back straight, you go through a, quite a tricky chicane. With, well, not chicane. Yes, yeah, and you can yeah, run and, wide. But yeah. it's like you can run wide and then carry on. It's like if you exceed it there, they'll penalise you. I, yeah. I, there is no real reason for Massey to be so ambiguous, ambiguous rather, um, <laughs> during the Bahrain Grand Prix with all these track limit rules. You should have just said, you exceed, you will get penalties. Well, and the thing I, that confuses me as well. Then, isn't it? Is that and and you know this isn't necessarily about clarity, but I don't understand why they take one stance for one session in qualifying and then take another stance for the race. That seems baffling to me. I don't really under perhaps it's to encourage drivers to race on the limit a bit more, maybe. But that still seems a little bit yeah yeah a it's little a bit bonkers. Mm. And I don't think it's a case of being strict. I just think they need to be clear. You know, as in, I think if they said don't exceed the track limits, you know, drivers would be like, all right, if we're going to get penalised for it, we won't. But I think in in some ways, in making one session one thing and then the race another, it almost um, clearly defined. It was almost like they said, you can't do it in qualifying. And then as soon as they eased it up for the race, it was almost like you had people thinking, oh, well, that means we can do it in the race. Yeah. Is, yeah, it's, it was really weird. Mm-hmm. Really bizarre. A poor weekend for the rule makers of F1. Um, but yeah. <laughs> to be fair, though, that that was a small, small thing in an otherwise perfect race. Like, mm. it was such a good Definitely. weekend. And there wasn't... I don't think there was any other ambiguity about anything other than the track limit rule. And... I guess anybody sees an opportunity to exploit, they'll exploit. That's that's um, the thing, isn't it? I th- and I, I I guess that's what I'm saying is, and I don't think Mercedes necessarily did anything wrong. I think that the the problem falls with the terminology being very vague. Mm-hmm. But like like we said, hopefully that'll be resolved. I I you know certain tracks won't have that issue. Um. So, yeah, I guess we'll just. Uh, We'll just see what happens with that. And in relation to that overtake, I don't know whether you've mentioned it in the notes. Um, now, obviously, when cars are... Not talking about turn four now, just just the race in general yeah. in, in relation to... It just happened, the overtake happens at turn four. Now, um, as you said, Verstappen had been catching uh, Hamilton at a rate of knots um, anyway because he was on fresher tyres in the what had been the quicker car over the course of the weekend. Um, and then DRS on top. Um, so heading towards turn four, Verstappen gets the run on Hamilton. I think it was Giovinazzi, wasn't it, in the uh, the Alfa Romeo? It was the back marker. He pulled out the way as as, as they have to. Um, and then Hamilton kind of placed his car in a kind of clever position where he basically put his car between 
Giovinazzi and Verstappen, which made um, Verstappen he can't. He, well, he had to run wide, didn't he? He had to go wide at turn four. Um, not illegally, you know. It wasn't like he shoved him off the track, but it was just one of those ones where Hamilton put his car in a position where it meant that Verstappen had nowhere else to go. Um, I can't help but feel, and I kn- there's probably a huge element of hindsight in this. I'll admit, but I can't help but feel that if Verstappen has been a little bit more patient, and I appreciate that he was probably watching the laps tick down, and mm. he was probably thinking, I've got to get past him somehow. Um, if he had waited another few corners, he could have just pinged him on the next DRS zone. I get, yeah, I get what you mean. To be fair, the situ- the, the place where he overtook him was at the end of the DRS zone. Yes. So yes. I feel well, like that was him it, making it wasn't, an opportunity. It wasn't, it wasn't like a, a lunge, or it wasn't unreasonable no. for him to have done what he did. But I guess what I'm saying is, is that it was a, you know, it's always going to be more difficult to overtake a car around a corner than it is on a straight. Mm-hmm. He'd managed to get past Hamilton, but not quite enough to kind of make it cleanly through the corner. Um, you know, perhaps there's an element to which you know he, he, who knows, he could have like pulled out a little bit, and then by the time the next DRS zone came around, he may not have been close enough. Yeah, I guess yeah. That, again, that's one of those kind of uh, what to, to be fair, like the situation he did it there was the, I think the longest straight or even the second, but the next DRS section was. It was it was a DRS section, but it was a shorter mm. straight. So to be mm. fair, though, he his car was quicker through that section. So perhaps mm. he he could have had him on there. But um, yeah, I, I guess I, I'm just saying that as a discussion yeah. point more than anything, mm. just purely because he had the quicker car. And like I said, that's not necessarily, you know, he's he's made a mistake or something like that. But perhaps in hindsight, he could have waited a bit. But mm. then you know, like a lot of them are saying, because obviously, so after. Um, Stappen ran wide and went in front of Hamilton. He got the call and they basically said, you've got to let Hamilton through because of the infringement. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of the people on the coverage were saying, oh, well, if he had waited until the next DRS zone, then he could have just stayed behind him and had DRS and just overtaken him straight away. I was like, there's like another couple of corners before they get to the next DRS yeah. zone. To be fair, Verstappen like, said it would be unfair to do it. Which is pretty good. I mean, I don't know if he was yeah. genuinely thinking about fairness when he did it, but if going well, forward, that is the logic. It would be. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, is like if what I, if the point I was making about, um, you know, he could have waited to make the overtake is a little bit like hindsight. Mm-hmm. That one is like massively hindsight. Is in like <laughs> in that moment, and we were discussing this yesterday, weren't we? Mm. Surely, in his head, Verstappen is going. Right, I just need to let him past and then get straight back on him. You know, as in, you've not got many laps left. You're sub-10 laps. So, you know, that's another two or three corners, I guess, in his head. That he's thinking that's another two or three potential opportunities to to kind of ping him, I guess. Um, and it was just unfortunate the way it kind of unfolded, wasn't it? Because you assume that either by the fact that he'd run wide in turn four, he'd lost either a bit of... Um, well, we think he might have picked up some dirt, obviously, because it's the off the track, mm-hmm. or because he'd have to let Hamilton pass. He lost a bit of heat in the tyres. That by the time the next corner came, he had to correct himself, didn't he? Because he kind of oversteered and then had to slide. And and from that point, then the tyres never seemed to quite have yeah. the grip. From, so yeah, from the point he gave it back to him, the position from there on. I think I think we were messaging each other all the way through and we thought, this is Verstappen's race to lose. This is Verstappen's race to lose. Just constantly, it's like mm. he's on the better tyre, he's, he's catching him at a rate of knots. 
But from yeah. the moment that Hamilton was allowed to have that position back, it did not look like Verstappen had any of the confidence, or the ability or the confidence or the car well, to a, overtake he had, him again. He had a few just, scruffy laps, didn't he? Yeah, he was in like, just couldn't yeah, find and, it. And it could have been anything. It could have been the tyres. It could have been a lot of momentum. Mm. I Personally, I think the tyres dropped off a little bit. And they, I, and you know, I, I guess I didn't know this, but like they said on the, uh, well, I, I maybe I don't know, but as in they said on the commentary, they said the thing with these tires, I don't know whether this is the certain compound, whether it's the hard tire compared to the medium and the soft, but they said that the when when you lose heat, it's very very difficult to get the heat back very quickly. Uh. So it's almost like it could have taken him another couple of laps to get that heat back in his tires to get the grip to make the move you know so it was a bit unfortunate the way it unfolded but you know we, we've just dissected that now over the course of what 10-15 minutes this all happened in seconds and yeah. it was exhilarating it was like what is going on um, it, 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 was, it was it just it was an electric race it was and nice, wasn't it? the battle between Hamilton and Stappen I mean the fact if, if every week it comes down to that smaller margin that people yeah. are dissecting a turn for uh, off the track back onto the track situation and you're talking and about like, like yeah. tyres dropping off and that yeah. as in like to that extent it, where it's 0.7 yeah. seconds separates first and second as in like let's not forget Hungary last year Hamilton was able to pit to go onto the soft tyre to go for fastest lap and he he went from first came out and was still in first hmm. like that's the sort of gap we had and by the end of this race we were talking about 7 tenths it was Nuts. less than a second. Like it's mental. It was. It was really exhilarating. Um, do we want to say any more about the Red Bulls and the Mercs, or should we move on to the midfield? I think we move on. If I'm, I, I haven't got anything to say. Do you have anything to say? No, I, I think I've had my say. I think we've both had our say about two and four. Um, mm. So uh, let's let's crack on with the midfield then. I thought it was a really good. Uh, this is really probably a good the- battle. This is the most number of constructors that are involved in a midfield battle that I've seen. It well, yeah, just I mean, seems like everyone's having a bit of a bite of the cherry. Yeah, I mean, like you, you know, obviously you add Perez in there, but his well, we'll kind of ex- almost exclude Perez because you'd assume yeah. that had he not had that issue, he would have been third or fourth. Yeah. Um, depends on how things went. Um. But yeah, McLaren were looking pretty tasty. I thought, um, particularly yeah. Lando Norris. I mean, the um, pre-season hype about them having the Merck engine has definitely bid fruition. They very much look like the best of the rest, I mm. thought. Did you think that? I thought so, absolutely. And, you know, Ricardo looked a little bit off the pace. Mm. But, but I new think car, it, new team. Exactly. I don't, think it was, I don't think it was so much that you were like flipping out Ricardo's out of stinker. It was more a case of like... You think give it a couple of races or even a couple of weeks because you know we got a three week gap now. Okay. Give Daniel Ricciardo a couple of weeks to get used to the car, used to the team, used to the setup, etc., etc. And you've got you've got two McLarens up there, you know. Um, so I think yeah, McLaren were looking really strong. Yep. Um, so yeah, for, what do you think sorry, of the Ferraris? Because I mean, they are very much back in the competition. Like from a year out, where they looked like the. Mm. Eight best team, <laughs> yeah. which is very bad for them. They, I, I mean, on paper they were the fifth best. No, third. They were the fourth best team. This yeah, I mean, on paper. it's funny because I was again I was watching some of the coverage and they said in any other season, 
if um, you know you add, we did Leclerc finish sixth and Sainz eighth. In any other season, if you'd had Ferrari sixth and eighth, you would say they've had an absolutely terrible race. But <laughs> after last season, sixth and eighth is very respectable, you know. But not not um, just on the basis of the last season, but on the basis of this season, in the sense of, I mean, you look at some of the other teams and how how many teams are competing for such small yeah, amount and, of spaces. Yeah, and and Ferrari hadn't looked particularly quick in testing. No. Um, you know, the, the, I guess they look yeah, average. They, yeah, yeah. So I think they'll be. Uh, they'll be particularly happy with those positions. I mean, it was interesting what Sainz said after the race. He basically said something to the effect of he was kind of not taking it easy as in a relaxed sense, but just in a kind of cautious sense. Um, you know, like, and like they said, oh, well, that's interesting. He said, well, like, yeah, obviously. He was like, it's a new car, new team. Like he said, I, I don't feel comfortable yet pushing that car to its limit. Like, yeah. I, I haven't got a 100% feel for the car yet. Which I guess for from Ferrari's perspective is promising because they kind of sat there like, well, on paper that means he can go quicker. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I, get... I mean, you look at the finishing times. It's like Lando was forty six off the lead, Perez was fifty two off the lead, Leclerc was fifty nine, and then it was Ricardo one hundred six, uh, Sainz one hundred seven, and there's a one twenty five is Sonoda mm. the next person. So he is very much there's a there's a clear and defined gap between. Science and then the next best person. Mm. So if this if this sort of Norris, Perez, Leclerc, Ricardo, Science, basically just Ferrari and McLaren, if mm. it it does look like it is just those two mm. teams battling for fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth, and yeah. Science is very much keeping up with Ricardo, who on I mean you look at it on paper, Ricardo is in a McLaren team with a Mercedes engine, and Science is in a Ferrari team which is trying to muster some wreck, you know. Uh, yeah, kudos to, back. Gather, yeah, 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 and it's like, and the fact that he was only a second off Danny Rick, even they're both in new cars, so they mm. both had no more or less excuse than the other. So, so no. it's, it's a very good uh, performance by Science, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's respectable, very respectable. Mm. Um, so yeah, and I mean, it's in, I I think what's that what Science said there is quite interesting. It'd be interesting to see if Daniel Ricciardo had a similar take on uh, McLaren or whether he was just saying send it all the time like he usually does. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it's in that you, you could almost split the midfield in half, couldn't you? Really, I say in half. You've basically got McLaren and Ferrari, mm. um, and then kind of the rest are kind of mashed around a little bit. Yeah. Um, to to be fair, I I would like to put Alpha Tauri, strangely enough, in with McLaren and Ferrari. I think mm. they were very unfortunate this weekend. Yuki Tsunoda yeah. looks like the next best thing to come into Formula 1. Yeah, he, he, was, he was looking sharp. He looked fearless going into some of these turns. And well, he was and instantly annoyed at anything that went wrong. And I think that's the winning mentality. He saw it in practice. If he's ever practice or qualifying, I think it was practice. But he it was, left so, one, didn't he? Yeah, someone was... He came out in traffic and he was like, what's going on? Like, sort it out. It was like, you don't... You just you don't have that sort of confidence as a new driver usually. And he just came and went, yeah... We should be but, sorting but this not, sort of stuff out. It's not. Um, it's it's confidence, not arrogance. That I think yes. is quite nice. Is yes. it's not a. It's not a kind of you know. Oh, I'm better than everyone else. It's a kind mm. of no. I know my own ability. Like, you know, um, and again, like they said, he's the first. I can't remember. They said something along the lines of like the first person to get points on a debut race. I, I can't remember what the stat was. So like, it was very oh, right. impressive. Um, but then on the other side of things though on the other side of his garage is Pierre Gasly who mm. had 
arguably the worst luck of the weekend. He yeah. qualified fifth. Now you can, I mean, that he, he qualified fifth. I was just amazed. <laughs> I was literally flabbergasted when he qualified fifth. I was thinking, yeah. wow. Alpha Tari last year were probably well. I can't remember who's. I can't remember what position they finished, but it's probably seventh, maybe sixth, seventh, somewhere around that. And they weren't. You wouldn't really consider them a team that's aiming for a sort of top eight finish every week. But you look at what's happened so far this season. They very much probably going with a lot of confidence into the next race. And yeah, I mean, Gasly had a. I mean, it was the slightest of touches onto the back of Danny Rick's car, and his mm. front wing just went, nope, <laughs> obliterated itself my under the car. Yeah, it was useless. It was like, oh my goodness, how unlucky can you get? So he goes right to the back, but the unfortunate thing for him was there was no safety car. So he no. was then 25 seconds behind Mick Schumacher, and it was like, that was kind of his race, because no more safety cars yeah. came out. He, he caught up. I think he finished seventeenth in the end, but mm. it was it was never gonna be a fruitful situation from there. Gets no. no DRS. There was it was just nothing going right for him in a sense. But going into the next race, I I genuinely think Alpha Tari are in with a shot of finishing in that sort of McLaren Ferrari remit. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> there's a part of me I don't know whether perhaps it's because I overestimated the impact of having the Merck engine, but there's a part of me that would have hoped that McLaren were a bit closer to Red Bull and yeah. Merck. Yeah. Um, like, Lando was having a great weekend, and Bottas pitted for a new set of softs just to get a faster slap, and he still finished about 10, 15 yeah, seconds ahead of exactly. him. Exactly. I mean, there's still a knows? gulf. There, yeah, there's still a, a, a bit of a gap, but who knows? As in, this is the last year of the this um, set of regulations. Come next season you know perhaps mclaren can fight their way back up there but you know i guess for mclaren and ferrari they'll be going they'll be delighted i think with how that weekend has gone um as you said alpha tari promising but unfortunate um and i think they'll be alpha tari be delighted with how yuki sonoda has kind of just dropped in and you know just just gone on with his business really mm. um and you know gasly is an excellent driver not to be sniffed at. There's a lot of positives for Alpha Tari there this weekend. Um, on the flip side, you've got Alpine and uh, Aston Martin. Oh, I mean, talk about two teams that go into a season with a lot of optimism. They got a new branding for both teams, new sponsors in a sense, and, and a four-time my... world champion. Yeah, four-time world champion joining Aston Martin, a two-time world champion rejoining the sport with Alpine. Yeah, and it's that. What an absolutely awful weekend for those two teams. They yeah, did not have a good time today. Shocking. Well, start with Aston Martin. Mm. They they've sort of been walking around like they've been really done over by the FIA with these new regulations because it's really hurting their low rate car. It is low rate, isn't it? I'm getting that right. Yeah. So basically, if you look at um, so the when they say rake, it's like the angle that the floor is at. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the Alpha Tauri, they have got like crazy. I think I'm right in saying that. I think that's what high rake is. Let me have a look. Yeah, it, it, yeah, I, th- I think it is. So the rear end of the car is enormously high off the oh. ground, and the front is. Sta- I think it stays the same the front, but it's, yeah, it's sort so of that elevation. It, it, what sort of angle you're looking at is depending on if you're a high or a low rake. Yeah. Car. So basically, 
Mercedes would be classed as low rake. So yeah, mm. Alpha Tauri and uh, yeah, basically Alpha, if you look at Alpha Tauri, they're the perfect example of high rake. Mm. And then if you look at what Mercedes used to be and what Aston Martin, formerly Racing Point, used to be, they would be low rake. And this is where the issues lie, is that last season, Aston Martin, or rather Racing Point, pulled a blinder. They basically bought the Mercedes car, which won the World Championship the year before. Great! That is an enormously good platform to start a season from, because you've already got the best car. But you ca- that's not a sustainable model. They can't then this year go, we want to buy the Mercedes car that won the Grand Prix the year before. It just, it's not sustainable. You can't just buy a whole car every year. It's just, <laughs> it just doesn't work. So when you get to these situations where regulations change, Mercedes adapted and they're still in the top three. Arguably, they haven't got the best car, but no. they've got at least the second best. And, and they're still a gulf off of everybody else. And, but, and you've got to consider as well that they've had DAS taken off them. So it's yeah. not just... Hmm. So um, it's a double it's, whammy for Mercedes. Yeah, so it's it's not just a kind of regulation change, as mm. in they've had part of their car has been affected by the regulation change in the rake, yes, but then they've also had a piece of technology that is arguably very effective mm. also taken off them. And like you said, at you know, Racing Point for me, what Racing Point did last year was very borderline in legality. But from their perspective, what you would have hoped is that they would have merely used that as a springboard mm. to kind of kick on, whereas it seems like that just hasn't really happened as no. yet. Cause, um, because if you're not the one designing your car, and if you don't really know what the whole ideas behind it were, in a sense, because you're just buying it from someone else, then mm. you can't adapt. And this Aston Martin car, great. It was a great car last year, but... This year, they can't adapt to the regulations because they don't know how any of it really works. <laughs> so no, they're I all mean, just like, oh, our car doesn't work now. It's like, oh, okay. I mean, again, it doesn't help that they had one of their drivers starting from the back of the grid, you know, in Vettel. Um, he was starting mm. from the back of the grid because of uh, not slowing down for yellows, I think, wasn't it, in Q1? But at the same maybe? time, he qualified 18th. So it's like he's, yeah. he's at the back regardless. And, it, it and just... then he rear-ended Ocon. Yeah, again, and blamed Doc on. <laughs> it, it was it was a poor weekend for them, and it you got to look at it though, and they've got to be really looking like they've got egg on their face because you see Sergio Perez and you see him battle from the back all the mm. way up to fifth, obviously with the best car, but he's managed to do that, and they've just signed four-time world champion Sebastian Vettel, who had a pretty bad weekend it was like i don't yeah. know why they were so stubborn on hey let's let's just try a one stop and at all costs they'll try the one stop because they can't think about beating anybody on race pace um and it, it was it seemed so defeatist when you see all of the other teams i mean you look at yuki Sonoda, he qualified 13th and he made it all up to ninth on race pace if you trust in your driver in your car you can gain those positions you haven't got to go with an insane strategy like a one stopper when everybody some people sometimes yeah. doing three stoppers on the weekend mm-hmm. it's like you, you can't quite understand what they were thinking this weekend but surely it's back to the drawing board and going hey let's just play it sensible get the points yeah we can. i mean it was a tricky one wasn't it because the, as soon as uh vettel was i mean i'll be honest with you i, I didn't really follow lance stroll not not a lot happened with him i don't think no um, he, he finished i think he started like ninth and then finished 10th he, he, he was yeah. just sort of battling with a load of you know middle of the tier yeah. 
Um, Drivers, as, as in not necessarily that he had a bad race, but he had a quiet race. Let's put it that yeah. way. Um, you know, but with Vettel, they kind of kept him out as long as possible on the mediums, and you were kind of watching it and going, "Well, right now, okay, you're keeping him out longer, but he's just hemorrhaging time and position." As yeah. in, like, you know, like there was that one point, wasn't there, where um, I think it was Carlos Sainz, Vettel, and Alonso were having a little. Uh, a little battle, and I think Alonso managed to get in front, and then Sainz took them both. Yeah. So like Vettel, Vettel was just like dropping down the table like a like a stone, and then they eventually pitted him. Um, but I mean, and Alonso I was no right better with a good with fresh tires, pretty much. Yeah, and I mean, I guess the writing was on the wall for them as soon as Vettel was relegated to last, wasn't it, for this weekend? Yeah. Um, but I guess the disappointing thing for us in Martin, they don't seem to have. Um, the pace they were kind of hoping for. Mm. Basically, Aston Martin have been replaced by Ferrari in the running order. Yeah. After that race, but but you know, yeah, not not just replaced, substituted, swapped, pretty much because yeah. they haven't they haven't in a sense just moved down one and Ferrari sort of jumped ahead of them. They've pretty much gone from fifth best team or fourth best team all yeah. the way down to about seventh or eighth. They, they yeah. look a shell of themselves. I mean, we did mention about the writing being on the wall for Vettel, but you think about last season, Perez won the Bahrain Grand Prix from last in, in racing points. Too. It's like, yeah. it's like what, what I, they, they just really don't look like they are the same team as last year. I mean, even the Alfa Romeos finished ahead of Vettel. I know obviously mm. Vettel was at the back, but if, if the Alfa Romeos are able to finish 11th, 12th, and split the two Aston Martin drivers and finish above both the Alpine drivers. It's like, well, that's what happens when you just develop a car and you adapt with the rules. It's like, mm. they, they really have some work to do. Yeah, and I mean, moving on to Vettel briefly, as we discussed this, isn't we? Because for a little while, when, you know, obviously last season with Vettel is kind of a write off uh, with Ferrari, wasn't it? Because they basically not gave up in an unprofessional sense, but. You know, Vettel was just kind of coasting, and he was kind of like, "Well, I'm not here next year," and it's all gone a bit sour. Yeah. You had Ferrari, who clearly put all their eggs in one basket with um, Charles Leclerc. Um, but before that, you know, Vettel, there were a few times where Vettel did things where, you know, you look at it and you go, "That's not something that a four-time world champion really does." As in, mm. I think it was at Silverstone where he was following Max Verstappen, he mistimed the break and just ploughed into the back of him. There was, um, I don't know whether these were in the same season, but I just remember them. There was the German Grand Prix uh, at Hockenheim. He was leading the race. It got a bit wet, and then he just slid off the road at 30 miles an hour and just planted it into a wall. Yeah. Um, yeah you know, it was in, like, not not necessarily horrendous, horrendous, like, well, I say that, as in the sort of things you look at and go, that's not really the sign of a four-time world champion. Um there was an element to which last season perhaps you looked at it when is it a case that there's a bit of Ferrari, there's problems with the team Ferrari, not necessarily in terms of the car, but in terms of, um, you know, like strategy and things like that, where you go, is it all Sebastian Vettel? Is there an element to which they rely on so much on Vettel that he's having to do like everything himself? Mm-hmm. Um and I think there is the, and I, I feel sorry for Vettel, I really do. I, I think there's the danger that now, at Aston Martin, if things don't quite work out, people could turn around and point the finger and say, well, it wasn't the car, it was the driver, and that would be 
unjust, I think, as in mm. I think Vettel has been very hard done by in the past couple of years. Especially um, when you look at his teammates. None of his teammates are ever finishing really high up. So, you know, no. in these years that he's been not at his best. Stroll no, finished definitely. ninth. Finished quite a distance off of the sort of the good pack of cars. And mm. last year, Leclerc, of course, he had one or two sensational drives where he finished second and third, I think, mm. or something like that. But it was like bulk of the time they are both finishing outside the top ten. Yeah, and there were also a few times, you know, where Leclerc made, you know, as in you think of the Austrian Grand Prix last year, plows yeah, into the side. Yeah, yeah he, 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 like, drove into the side of Vettel. He had another one, Bahrain, last year, where he completely misjudged it. And I think, I think it was Stroll, Leclerc and Verstappen all ended up out of the race because of the one incident. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's not just a... It's not just a driver thing, but I think there's a danger that if it doesn't pick up soon, I think the fingers could start pointing again, which would be uh, a shame. But um, yeah, we'll move on to Alpine then, add a bit of a... I mean, the first thing first is that Fernando Alonso retired, which is uh, very disappointing. From the race. Good to see him back, though. Not from the the season again. Sorry? (laughs) From the race he retired. He hasn't retired from the season yet. No, no, no. Retired from... Not not from the sport. He's back properly. But as in, it was was good to see Fernando Alonso back. And as in, you know, like they were talking about it before the race and they were like, 10 of the 22 drivers have got a race win. Mm. You know, it's it's crazy. There's there's an awful lot of talent in the field this year. Um, And it just seems Alpine don't have any of it. Um, yeah. From a car perspective, brutal, absolutely brutal. <laughs> no, like they said, when they Carlos like Sainz made that manoeuvre, they yeah. said like Carlos Sainz has overtaken like six champions worth of titles. There. Yeah, as in like Four two for Alonso. Mm. But yeah, sorry, go on. What were you saying? Um, well, nothing really in particular. It was just the fact that Alpine was so rubbish. Um, yeah, they they just had nothing. Um, what's his name? Al- Alonso retired, as you say, and mm. Ocon finished behind pretty much everybody but the Haas and the Williams and yeah. the Alpha Tauri Pierre Gasly car which was 25 seconds behind everybody at one stage it's like good gracious it's like not even you know there's no promising signs from the from the driver in terms of Ocon or from the car that it A no. can't finish a race with both and B mm. didn't um, even get close to finishing the top 10 well I mean like you know, when you look at Mercedes, you know, they've been complaining that their car is twitchy, you know, like especially mm-hmm. in the the wind, which Bahrain tends to have a lot of. Um, but at least you kind of look at it and go, all right, well, it is, but they've got a cracking power unit. Okay, it may not necessarily be the best this year, but it's right up there. Um, whereas Alpine's car, as in the Renault power unit, looks as Renault as it possibly could, just kind of meh. And mm. like Alonso was like, like wrestling the car like all the time before he retired. Um, yeah, was not a good reason. And I tell you what's fascinating because, and I, I this has just popped into my head now because I've been watching Drive to Survive today, like I said, and I've just watched the episode um, in relation to Danny Rick and Renault. And you kind of look at it and you go, he's he pulled off a masterstroke moving to McLaren this season. Yeah. He really, Especially really as has. McLaren have moved, because they had the Renault engine, didn't they, last year? Yep. Yeah, and they've gone from that to Mercedes, and I think he saw right at that moment he went, "Yeah, I want to be in that car for sure." And I think that's kind of what McLaren were thinking. It's like we go from this engine to that engine. Everybody's going to want to drive for us, and they do. And Ricardo's there. I mean, they they've arguably got the best lineup of two drivers. 
McLaren, I would say one of the best, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Maybe behind Red Bull, because they've got Stepan Emperors. I mean, mm. and then maybe, well, it depends how much you rate Bottas, but, yeah. you know, you could arguably say better than Mick. If they, if you, if somebody says Norris is better than Bottas, somebody would have to say Norris is better than Bottas, which is tough. And but you've also got to say he's so much better than not uh, than Bottas that the difference between Ricardo and Hamilton is such that McLaren is better. But certainly mm. top three for driver partnerships this year. Mm. Um, so, you know, the, the, yeah, absolute masterstroke. I mean, my pre- my prediction didn't quite come to fruition that Ricardo would get on the podium, but mm. I wasn't far off because Mercedes uh, and McLaren got fourth. Yeah. You know, all it would have taken was a retirement from Bottas, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been that wrong, just a little bit wrong. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> You're kind of something like, yeah, all right, whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Alpine not really doing much. Uh, to be honest with you, I can't, I can't say I'm really surprised. It's, it's what I kind of expect. But you know, again, they've got Alonso. Okay, he's very talented. He has been driving, but as in, he's been out of the sport for two years. He's probably still kind of. As much as a two-time world champion can be, he's probably still feeling his way back in into the sport, maybe a little bit. Yeah, I mean, um, he hasn't. He hasn't exactly been out. Of, well, he's been out of this sport, but he's still been yeah. driving. He's been doing all these other yeah, sort of event I, things. I guess, but yeah, you know, we're, we're saying about around. we're saying about Ricardo and Carlos Sainz having a bit of time to mm. adjust. You know, they were in the sport last year. It's just a case yeah, they're in a different yeah. car. Fernando Alonso has not been in the sport. Excuse me a second, I dropped my pen. Um, Fernando Alonso has not been in the sport. Um, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things where it's like, you've perhaps got to give them a little bit of leeway. Um, they've also got a new team boss, who I don't actually know the name of. No, I was thinking then. It's, it's always I, been Cyril Abitabu. I know, what a guy. Yeah. Um, let me have a look. Oh, <laughs> that's awkward. Alpine. <laughs> <laughs> no venom anymore. We got Alpine. Boss of team principal. It is Laurent Rossi. There we go. Yeah. So him. Um, they've got they've got that guy in charge. Don't, don't know who he is. Never heard of him to be honest. What's his name? Um, uh, Laurent Rossi. Fair, fair. Uh... Um, so yeah, you know, there's you know, there's a bit of change at Alpine, perhaps. Over the course of the season, these sort of things will balance themselves out. And like, look, let's not forget at the start of last season. Like, how many cars did we have retire in that first race? It was bonkers. A lot. Well, like, yeah, because Latifi finished eleventh, and I remember yeah. that because I thought Latifi almost scored a point. Yeah. How on earth has Nicholas Latifi almost scored a point in a Formula One race? Um, yeah. So it's a blessing so, yeah. that we only had three retirements this year. <laughs> yeah. So you know, a lot can happen. A lot can happen. Mm. Um. Should we move on to the kind of supposed backmarkers? The supposed backmarkers, yes. Uh, and I, I'm going to make the claim here now. I've put it a little bit into our notes, but in regard to Alfa Romeo, as much as they are considered backmarkers, and I think they always will be for well for the remainder mm. of the season, well, probably um, on their resources and stuff I, like that. Yeah, as well. I do have this sort of feeling that they are going to finish ahead of either Alpine or Aston Martin by the end of the season. They Ooh, just they were the model of consistency. The only time they had uh, any retirements from a session was when the drivers crashed the cars. So that was Raikkonen crashed, I think, twice during the weekend. Um, mm. But apart from that, model of consistency, no engine or car failures, and they ended up finishing 11th and 12th. Obviously, it doesn't come with any points, so that's going to be frustrating mm. for them. But 
I mean, you look at it and you go, they've had a good weekend. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think saying that they'll finish ahead of Alpino Asin Martin is very bold. I mean, bold, but I think if, it's that, true. If, if, if that's right. But <laughs> I mean, what I would say is, I feel like if you're looking at, you know, if you're classing Alfa Romeo Williams and Haas as the back markers, you've got Alfa, you've got like the midfield bit of a gap, Alfa Romeo bit of a gap, Williams and Haas. Yeah. As in, I feel well, like Alfa I didn't Romeo, even say Williams bit of a gap. Haas, Haas just looked like. The absolute dog. They had a dog of the year at the moment, but um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you go what I mean. There was in this, there's a bit of a gap between Alfa Romeo and the other two yeah. teams. Yeah, who they, they've very much clawed their way up a little bit away from them. Bit of but as in, I guess when you compare it, as in like Williams are in their worst. You know, coming off the back of last season, absolutely terrible season. This year is very much a rebuilding season for them. You yeah. know, new ownership. Regulation season one year away. Uh, sorry, regulation change one season away. Mm. So I think George Russell year, looked good though. He did look good. He did look good. I mean, t- to be fair to George Russell, the majority of the time he looks good. He had qualified um, Latifi once again. Mm. Um, no surprises there. Had a pretty Finished good weekend. 14th. Yeah, yeah. As in, it's it's not um, not a horrendous weekend for Williams. Um, mm. I mean, he I guess do anything wrong. That was sort of the key thing. I mean, I guess for Williams, they've kind of... I feel like they've... You know, like last season, they were absolutely rock bottom. Yeah. Um, it perhaps there's a case that they've kind of dragged themselves from that position and Haas have willingly taken that role on themselves. Yeah. Ha- Haas um, have sort of taken it like, we kind of want to be last. We want to be yeah. last because we're going to save up everything and go properly the year after, which uh, seems so defeatist. <laughs> yeah. I, I'd much rather see Haas go out there with... You know, a, a, um, I don't know, Fiat five hundred, and just do that every week, and go. We'll just save all our money as well, because they literally there's no point in them putting out a car every week, no, unless they plan on, on retiring it early, like Mazda Spin, as we've been saying, every week, and just have him spin out <laughs> right at the beginning, save them a load of money. Great, but they're not. I mean, it's almost a joke with them being in it at the moment. They're just not doing anything. They're not. They're not trying. And they won't be trying, so it's like, let them just save That's the, the thing, money. That's the thing, isn't it? Like, like even, even when Williams were like in the doldrums last year, you they never got tried. the impression <laughs> that it was for, for a lack of trying. Whereas with mm. Haas, it does very much feel like they've gone, we're just going to save our tokens, we're just going to get through this year, mm. and then next year we'll be back better. And you're just well, kind of like, like... Williams got Paddy Lowe, is it that right? Is that the guy's name? Uh, the one did. who does, yeah, your Paddy Lowe. Last. They try different things, and it doesn't work, and it's like, well, okay, they're just in a rut, but... Haas are going like, yeah, we're going to tank on purpose. It's like, then, oh. do you think that uh, we're going into a bit of a wider discussion here, right? But, but do you think that's perhaps because of the nature of Formula One? Haas, you know, as in Haas don't have the resources of the bigger teams. They've kind of got to look at their opportunities and realistically go, well, next year's our best chance to actually do okay and be competitive. Yeah, I. I... Yeah, I guess it is a bit of consolidation in the sense of just going, well, we know we'll be bad this year, but next mm. year we hope to be a I mid-table mean, team. I mean, look, don't get me wrong, that doesn't make it good for Formula 1 fans this no. year. And like, in I, general, that's, that's not the but, sort of thing you want to be seeing. But from a bit, as in, there is the kind of business side of Formula 1 and the financial side as well that we don't always yeah, know about, I guess. What's a shame is that they have to put out a car and they have to compete this year because if they don't, 
They are, you remember when they joined and they have to have, I think it's over a two or three season period where they don't really get any money from the F1. Yeah. Because they don't just let teams join. They'd have to, they'd have to go through that again. Yeah. And it's like, so, but I'd much rather the F1 go, you know what? It's not worth seeing you blight the screen at the bottom of the leaderboard every week <laughs> because they're not even doing anything. Um, <laughs> it's not worth you being yeah. here. Wow. Yeah. It's like, just save your money and be better next year, and we will let you keep that money. Mm. Um, but yeah, just doldrums. Yeah, there, there was no real positive, and didn't Schumacher spin as well? Yeah, he, he spun Ma- Ma- with. Sorry, we haven't really said Mazepin span and smashed into a wall, which caused a safety car. So he was out after three corners of his Formula One debut. Yeah, um, um, I I didn't even mind. I mean, I was watching videos of him in F2 this weekend, and he's just a dangerous driver. You do not want him on the track. He just mm. pushes people off into really dangerous things. It's like, he's, he's not safe. <laughs> he's just not yeah. safe. Um, I feel like there's some off-the-track things going on with Mazepin yeah. as well, which uh, don't yeah. help matters. Uh, yeah. we, we won't go into that. No, um, but just... Yeah, I, I'm not even disappointed to see him crash that early because it's just another car that needs to get lapped at the end of the day. Uh, but Schumacher Schumacher finished almost a second quicker than him in qualifying. That is the that is the difference between what is a promising driver. Some would say Schumacher's in the sport because of his dad's name mm-hmm. a little bit, but he did win F2, so you know there is some sort of accreditation there. But Mazepin never finished um, in the top six for the F2. So it's like, yeah, he never finished in the top six and he was able to buy his way in. I mean, even Latifi finished close to the top, but Mazepin's not even finished top six. And it's like, this is where you see in the extremes of how much you can just pay for a seat because he is not anywhere near the finished article for what a a Formula One driver should be. If anything, he makes Stroll look good. (laughs) It's like, everyone's always sort of had that thing on Stroll, like, oh, he's paid for a seat. But it's like, he's, as we were saying last week, he's qualified on pole he's been mm. on the podium has he been on there twice now the podiums yeah i think so yeah and it's like I so can't he's, remember. he's got some racing I mean, look, caliber about him the thing the thing is is that you can pay you can pay your way into a seat but if you're not good enough you'll get found out yeah very, as simple as that as in like look don't get me wrong i was one of the ones who kind of leveled that criticism a little bit at lance stroll but he i think he has very much proved that he is worthy of a seat in formula one yeah, of a seat. I don't know if he's worthy. Well, yeah, it's it's always a struggle to say somebody's worthy of what that seat was worth last year because that was a genuinely good car, and mm. there were some genuinely then, good drivers. Yeah, but then cars. again, Jack, like don't, let's not forget now. This weekend, Sebastian Vettel finished at the bottom, pretty much. Yeah, Lance Stroll finished tenth in the same car. Yeah. You know, Sebastian um, Vettel's a four-time world champion, isn't he? He's no mug. <laughs> um, but like you say, he's in. And and the thing is as well, it's it's not like there isn't any talent in F two, is and you've got like Guan Yu Zhou who's who's excellent. You've got mm. um Callum Ilot who's also very talented. Tick you know, as well. This, he had a good sorry? weekend. Yeah. Uh, you know, there there are there are a lot of good drivers in Formula uh, Formula Two who you're probably looking at and going, Surely they'd be worth more of a punt than uh Mazepin. But there we mm. are. That's how it works. And like you said, is in they'll possibly be people who argue that Mick Schumacher has got there because of his name um, and you know maybe that helped him throughout his career but ultimately you don't win Formula 2 if you're not a good driver no 
you don't and, uh, yeah. over the course of a season you don't maintain a seat in Formula One if you're not good enough. As in, it's not that kind of sport. It really isn't. So, I guess we'll uh, we'll have to see what happens. But um, yeah, yeah has just need to do something <laughs> rather yeah. than just nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I feel I feel at the moment they're just present. Has has yeah. exist. That's but all like, we can really say about Haas at the moment. I, it, it wouldn't even surprise me if they went full shameless at the end of the season and just retired a car with no issues, just because it's like, well, we yeah. get a car out, we qualify for the criteria to get our money for next year. Um, it's like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, tough one. Should we have a look ahead of uh, what's happening? Well, what sort of the outlook is going from this weekend? I think so. I mean, look, the next race is three weeks away. Which I think yeah. is is huge. Um, Don't quite well. It was meant to be the Chinese Grand Prix at some point in these three weeks, mm. and it got cancelled. And Formula One just went, "We're not going to schedule something else." And it does seem a little bit like, oh, so all of these teams who were quote unquote sandbagging uh, their cars during testing to not give away how much pace they had. It's like that was only two weeks ago. So teams were hiding all hiding their speed two weeks ago. To make sure that people weren't prepared for this weekend, so they got three weeks after this weekend. It's like, well, whatever sandbagging they were doing then, it's not going to really well, matter anymore. And and this is what just going off from that briefly. This is why I think, not necessarily worried, but I think Red Bull will be really frustrated that they didn't come away with a win, mm. because you can you only give Mercedes assume time they're going to work it out. Exactly, you can only assume that the more time you give Mercedes, the the more competitive their car is going to be. So I think they'll be a bit frustrated. Anyway, that's by the by. Um, you know, as in, it, it gives the teams an opportunity to perhaps consolidate themselves a little bit. You know, drivers like Carlos Sainz, Ricardo have moved to new teams. The younger drivers, or newer drivers, I should say, like Sonoda, um, Schumacher. I mean, I guess you could probably include Mazepin, but there doesn't seem to be much hope for him right now. No. Um, so we'll we'll see how that goes. I'm, like you said, I don't understand why they didn't just, like, even two weeks, just move the like because it's um, Imola next, isn't it? Um, yes. They, they That'd be an quite interesting easy. one. That that's going to be very similar to um, Monaco, I think, in the sense of it's such a narrow it's, track. It's difficult to overtake it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think pole could be king there, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, which you'd have to assume would probably favour Red Bull as the cars stand at the moment. But yes, yes. you know. The one of the big talking points was the weekend was the the wind and the kind of gusty um, conditions on track seemed to hinder. I wouldn't say favor Red Bull. They seemed to hinder Mercedes more than they hinder Red Bull. Mm-hmm. If you take that away, is the Mercedes as far behind as this weekend would suggest? Maybe not. I guess we'll have to wait and see. But like you said, it's a difficult track to overtake at Imola. Um, yeah, and to be fair, Mercedes did seem to have the edge on the straights, not like massively, but. The, the, yeah. the areas where Red Bull were sort of making that advantage were the, the sort of wind, yeah, the windier, where there's more bends and all that. That that was like sector two basically. Yeah. The other sectors they seem pretty on par. Yeah, it so, was parity, wasn't it? So yeah, and Bahrain is one of those circuits where there's way more straights than anywhere else. Really, there's not mm. apart from Monza where it's all straight. Apart from that, it's like most. I mean, particularly if you look at circuits like uh, the Spanish one. That's just or um, Hungary. That's pretty much all bends for the entire race. So you'd assume yeah. Red Bull are really gonna take it to Mercedes this year. I mean, well, this I could mean, be one which I, got away from them, but it very much also could look at it from the counter and say this is one of the mm. few that Mercedes had to win and they really struggled to win. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll just have to see what happens, won't we? Is in it, how much of an impact was that wind having? How much, you know, how how to what extent can Mercedes close that gap in the next couple of weeks? You know, as in you had Bottas saying the car was undrivable, yet he finished third. Um, that, that that doesn't really seem undrivable to me. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, it's it's exciting. As in, there's a lot of uh, a lot of things going on. I'm a big fan of Ibla. Not the easiest to overtake, but as in, it's a fast kind of sweeping sweeping mm. circuit. So it there's no hairpins some... on it at all. It's no, just no. Uh, consistently fast, 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 fast everywhere. Everything leads yeah, yeah. to the next one. So it'll it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Really, to be honest. Um, mm. You know, looking beyond that, you know, we've said about the wind. How much of an impact is that going to make throughout the season? If if Mercedes seem to be a little bit more unstable in those conditions. Um, you know, moving on from there, is is that going to be a long term issue for them? Like you know, you mentioned last season they had problems with the uh, tires, didn't they? Isn't it the Mercedes yeah. just absolutely shredded its tires on most like, circuits? Yeah, especially like if they're going to have to literally pit that early on. Well, the fact mm. that they can't even push on certain tires in certain mm. conditions because they just haven't got the life on them with the car which they've got. It really. Yeah. It's not a positive outlook for the remainder of the season. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have said Bahrain was a circuit which. I mean, maybe the heat plays quite a lot, but it's very straight line circuit. There's mm-hmm. not very many technical sections where you really got to get some grip out of those tires to get going. So when you get onto these faster circuit, well, not faster, rather more technical circuits, uh, yeah, Mercedes should, in theory, be struggling even more. So yeah, you know, this could the season could very well go. Red Bulls away. Some would say it could go down to the wire. Down to the wire. Just like the final episode of uh, Drive to Survive went down to the <laughs> wire, such as the name of the episode. <laughs> such as the name is this podcast, yeah. no, I'm joking. Yeah. Thanks well, for the shoutcast. Shout out. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. know. We didn't give them permission to use our uh, podcast no, we didn't. title in no. their episode. You know, we'll Clearly. forgive you go Netflix. Just next time let us know, please, if that's yeah, all right. Yeah. We'd Absolutely. appreciate it. Um, yeah, I, I don't think there's anything else to talk about apart from that, really, nope. is there? Good weekend. Lots going on. Hopefully in three weeks' time, it's just as good. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if, if it's anywhere close to that, I'll be happy, to be honest. As in, as a Formula 1 fan, I don't think we can... Uh, it would be uh, high expectations to expect that level of racing and that amount of stuff happening in a race every week but if we can get somewhere close that would be pretty good mm, um, absolutely so there we are right uh, that's the end of the podcast for this week thank you all for listening if you're listening on uh, YouTube why not subscribe for some more Formula 1 uh, discussions over the next uh, 23 races um, sorry 22 races 23 in total we've had one Um yeah, so why not subscribe? Perhaps leave a comment. Let us know your thoughts. If you're listening on Spotify, why not give us a follow? Um, as always, um, we are on Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and I think that yeah, is... Yeah, I think that's all of them. Yeah. I think that's all of them. Um, but yeah, Jack, pleasure as always. And uh, we'll be back again next week to update you with all of the latest and greatest. See you soon.